1: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, not past it, listeners. We've got something a little different for you this week. We're calling it a historical domino effect. You know that thing where you line up a bunch of upright dominoes and then you tip over that first one and it hits the next one and then the next one and the next one and and it goes like. This is an idea that's actually inspired by a viral TikTok that asked, what's a random historical domino effect you absolutely love? This came from user Haytham J, so shout out. Well, in our version, each domino will be a mini history story that leads you to the next event in a chain reaction, and we'll end up at a completely different place than where we started. On today's episode, we're going back 80 years ago this week to June 22nd, 1941, the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union. But that's just where we're starting, because sometimes the darkest moments in our history can trigger some of the most joyful ones. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. I'm Simone Polanin. We've done the hard work, folks. The dominoes are all lined up. So let's knock them down after the break. <laughs> Before we get started with our game of historical dominoes, um, to make this a little more fun, it is my pleasure to have my dear friend, the beautiful, the lovely, the incredibly intelligent, Mary Halliwell. Hi! Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Simone. It is my deepest pleasure. Maybe before we get started, we should tell the audience, um, how do we know each other? We
0: went to college together, and I've just sort of been a loving admirer of yours ever since.
1: So. Stop. I feel like before I knew you, I was like, oh, I could never be friends with Mary. She's like way too cool for me. <laughs> so I have a story for you. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. Are you ready?
2: Oh, yeah. Domino number one.
1: So, we are going to begin our chain of events in World War II.
0: World War II. Okay.
1: The second one. Number two. The second World War. Yeah. (laughs) For you, I'm curious, what comes to mind when you think of World War II? Oh,
0: my God. I guess predominantly the Holocaust would be the main thing.
1: World War II for me, yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of people. Understandably so. You know, most of us know about the Holocaust, during which 11 million people were killed, which included 6 million Jews, but also Black people, gay people, Roma people. And the goal of this being essentially to cleanse the world of this undesirable population, you know, in the eyes of the Nazis... And their goal was to build a totally Aryan nation full of, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people. Yeah. But the Holocaust was just one strategy in this larger goal of building this worldwide Aryan empire. Um, Another strategy that the Nazis used was this idea of Lebensraum, which in German basically means living space. Which just feels like a really gentle way to say like, oh, we are invading other countries, taking their land, setting up shop. And this brings us to 80 years ago this week, because one of the countries that the Germans invaded was the Soviet Union.
0: The Soviet can go back a long way. Russia is a vast country. She can afford to yield, if need be, for devastated miles, all the time luring the Germans into a barren wilderness which is far indeed from Hitler's bursted expectations of swift, easy victory.
1: So this invasion began on June 22nd, 1941, and it was called Operation Barbarossa. What is that all about? Well, we actually talked to a historian, Roger Morehouse. He specializes in German and Polish history.
2: Yeah, it's still, I think, the largest military invasion in history across a 1,000-mile front, 3.5 million men. It's absolutely vast in its conception, all the way from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the, the entire area of that front line between Germany and, uh, and the Soviet Union.
1: Yeah. So Operation Barbarossa is this massive attack, and really massive in the sense of, like, just the amount of land that they're invading. Because again, this goes back to this idea of Lebensraum, which is creating this living space, but not for the people who already live there. This is for the future Aryan empire that the Nazis are trying to build.
2: One thing we have to bear in mind when we're talking about Barbarossa, of course, is that this is an ideologically driven race war.
1: And so, obviously, as the Nazis are invading these territories, you know, there are already people living in these places. And so the Nazis, what they try to do is they try to exterminate, exile, or enslave as many of the existing population as possible. And they do, over the course of the war, they do that to millions of people. And the Nazis do this with the goal of basically conquering the land, killing the people, procreating, and repopulating that land with Aryans. And that brings us to... Domino number two. So, the Germans are building their Aryan empire on these invaded territories, these conquered lands. And as a part of that, they're on the hunt for children that fit the Aryan beauty standard. And when I say they're on the hunt for them, what I really mean is they're like, essentially, they're abducting these kids. The Nazis are going out, looking for Aryan-looking children and abducting them to be a part of their own Aryan empire. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, Lebensraum was like living space, so invading territories to use that land for the Aryan empire. And hand-in-hand with that is another Nazi policy with its own political association called Lebensborn, which means fount of life. And it's all about populating that space.
0: It's such a weirdly, like, grossly, like, whimsical term for something that's, like, so disgusting.
1: Oh,
2: my God. Right? Yeah.
1: Here's Roger Morehouse again.
2: And any child that sort of fitted those criteria would essentially be brought to Germany and would be raised as a German, would very often be, you know, given to childless SS families, for example, and would would be raised in sort of german orphanages and children's homes and so on which is really i mean hideous actually it's like no fucked up thing
0: should surprise me that the nazis would do but like that's also incredibly fucked up
1: yeah like you would you don't expect to be surprised by like how horrible nazis can be and yet like we still are um and unfortunately uh it does get worse or maybe continues to be horrific, which is that part of this Lebensborn program was also finding non-German women who looked suitably Aryan and forcing them to have children with SS soldiers. That's insane, (laughs) Jesus Christ. So we're essentially talking about, you know, state-sanctioned rape at this point. This is like Handmaid's Tale. It is very Handmaid's Tale. I didn't even think about that. So in pursuit of this Lebensborn program, where do you think the Germans went to find their Aryan-looking people?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would guess like somewhere in the north, like I'm picturing like blonde-haired Scandinavian type, like double braids, milkmaids type
1: thing. That's right. You got it right. Ding 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 ding. Yes. The Nazis did I mean that's a weird thing, a weird thing to get excited about. Them. Um I'm excited for you getting the answer right. I'm not excited for the reality of the events we're talking about. Very important distinction. Got to got to make that clear. Um but you are right. The Nazis did make their way to the northern parts of Europe, to the Scandinavian countries, and specifically to Norway, which was under German occupation from April of 1940 to May of 1945. So for a solid five-year period, Norway was under German occupation, which is not something I personally learned about in school. I don't know about you.
0: I didn't learn that either, and that's like More or less like the whole war, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And during that five-year occupation, several thousand Norwegian women had their children fathered by German soldiers as a part of this Lebensborn program. Did you learn about this when you were learning about World War II in school?
0: Absolutely not. No. No. For sure not. I feel like that's something that would have, like, stuck.
1: Yeah. It's wild because, like, 10 to 12 thousand kids came from this Lebensborn program. But where did they live? And what actually happened to these kids? Well, I can tell you about one of them. And this brings us to...
2: Domino number three.
1: One of the kids born out of this Lebensborn experiment was named Annie Fried Linkstadt, And she was conceived at the tail end of the war and was born right after it ended. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Uh, all right, great, good. So the mystery continues. So <laughs> Annie Fried actually leaves Norway. She moves to Sweden uh, with her mother after the war is over. You know, she never meets her father. She doesn't know anything about him. Basically, Annie Fried and her mom move to Sweden to lead a new life. Annie Freed gets involved in music at a young age, and she actually becomes a dance band singer. And she gets into singing sort of these like light, breezy pop songs. Think like bossa nova tracks, but translated into Swedish. (laughs) Are you there? Are you picturing it?
0: (laughs) 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 That should be a Spotify playlist for sure, yeah.
1: (laughs) Swedish bossa nova. (laughs) And so, and we actually talked to somebody about this. We talked to Carl Magnus Palm, who is a music writer, and he's an expert on one particular band that I'm not going to name yet. But he is very familiar with Annie Fried.
3: She had a breakthrough in a talent contest in 1967, and she, she, all of a sudden she was on national TV, and Sweden only had one channel at the time, so you can imagine the impact that made. And she got a record contract and, all of a sudden, you know, you know, everyone in Sweden knew who she was.
1: So at this point, Annie Fried's star is rising, right? It's around this time that she meets three very important people to her life. They're named Benny, Bjorn, and Agneta. Oh, my God. And they eventually form a band. <laughs> and side note, Annie Fried also goes by the name Frida.
3: Anyway, so... Jump to 1969, Bjorn gets together with Agneta, they get romantically involved, and around the same time, the same thing happens with Benny and Frida. So now you have like two, you have two songwriters, you have two singers, and you have two romantic couples. And what's the first thing they do? They go into cabaret, because cabaret was quite a big thing in Sweden at the time.
1: So, you know, lounge singing, cabaret, it's pretty much the same thing, (laughs) pretty connected. (laughs) they've got this kind of incestuous band going made up of two couples. They're making their music and they're doing fine in Sweden, but they don't really break out beyond that because, you know, all their music is in Swedish. They decide they're going to record a song in English. (laughs) I'm so thrilled right now. (laughs) All right. And their band name is an acronym for their names. You've got Anietta, Benny, Bjorn, and Annie Freed.
0: Abba. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're Abba. <laughs> this is the best possible destination. I can't believe this.
1: Are we going to talk about Meryl creep? Is that next? Do we get to Meryl? Fuck yes. Okay. We are going to get there <laughs> You've got your head in the right place. (laughs) But before we get to Meryl, we have the birth of ABBA, and we're about to go to their big break at the 1974 Eurovision Song Contest. But before we get there, we have to take a little break. So, since you're the guest, Mary, I would love it if you could do me the honor of throwing to the break, if you could do your best (laughs) post-impression. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Stay tuned.
0: After this break, Eurovision 1994? 1984. 74. <laughs> <laughs> you are close. Like, how could it possibly have been 1994? Really, would it really
1: wouldn't be 1994, but that's okay.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Etsy.
2: Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
1: With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time.
0: Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: Before the break, we time traveled all the way from Operation Barbarossa in 1941 in the Soviet Union to the Nazis' Lebensborn program in Norway, where we met Annie Fried. And we just found out that Annie Fried is a member of ABBA. So now we're getting to the fun part. And ABBA is about to have their big break at Eurovision, 1974, (laughs) specifically that year. There are people who have lived pre ABBA, sadly for them. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. (laughs) So, Eurovision is this annual song contest where countries from all over Europe compete against each other. Um, It's like, I think, yeah, it feels like it's a cross between like the Olympics and the Hunger Games and American Idol, but with the budget of like a small nation. (laughs) It's like huge. And in 1974, that is the Eurovision where ABBA made their massive international splash.
3: And we move now across into Sweden, the largest of the Scandinavian countries.
1: And do you know what song they debuted with? Oh, my God, I don't. I hope it's Dancing Queen,
0: but it can't be. Oh,
1: it's not. They actually debut their classic track, The
0: song is called Waterloo.
1: Waterloo.
0: Stop.
3: They did Waterloo? Yeah. that's like one of the best ones. Waterloo by ABBA for Sweden. Watch this one.
1: And so let me bring Carl in again, and I can say now, the band that he's an expert in is obviously ABBA. Oh, my God. Dream job.
3: The day before Eurovision, no one outside Scandinavia knew who they were. The day after Eurovision, everyone in Europe knew who they were, and the United States soon followed, Australia soon followed you know the, the entire planet soon followed. so that was that was their big breakthrough that kind of established them as a as a, as a pop band for for the entire world
1: so Eurovision was the stage that launched ABBA into global fame. And actually, right after... This is... I love this. I just... (laughs) The power of this band. Okay. Right (laughs) after they have their Eurovision performance, they release their self-titled ABBA album in 1975, which gives us hits like Mamma Mia and S.O.S., which... I'm sorry. To debut with Waterloo and then to follow up with Mama Me and SOS. Like, it's an absolute tour de force. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like just a superhuman levels of like pop perfection. <laughs> they never no, stop. No. They don't even slow down, you know? Like, it's just bop after bop, just relentless bob. perfection. Great. Yeah. If you're listening and you're like, just play a full ABBA song already, I legally can't do that. But we took your advice, Mary, and we did make a Spotify playlist with some of these gems. It's linked in our show notes. Go check it out. Okay. Currently,
0: one of my housemates is obsessed with ABBA, so it's like kind of always playing in my house. So this is really nice. I guess my mom really loves them and I feel very aware of their like Impeccable fashion
1: sense, like Uh God. I want to go dancing so badly. (laughs) I'm like, but all like, I need somebody to in 2021 just spin a pure ABBA party. (laughs) I loved the joyful songs, the dancey songs, but I also loved those like heartfelt ballads. Yes, the like it. They really dig into (laughs) like human emotion.
0: It's just, yeah, raw and beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh.
1: You're enchained by your own sorrows. like... Is <laughs> that you, Shakespeare? Like, what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that is all to say, like, I have a deep, 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 deep love for ABBA. And I think the rest of the world does, too. Yeah. Because this leads us into...
2: Domino number four.
1: So after a decade of chart-topping success around the world, Benny and Bjorn get approached by this theater producer named Judy Kramer. So, you know, Judy approached them with this idea of making a musical. And their one request was like, sure, just don't make it about us. So Judy Kramer and her team take all of the ABBA songs and they write a totally original story to go with them. And they call the musical, Mamma Mia. Oh my God. The musical Mamma Mia premieres on the West End in London in 1999 and then on Broadway in New York in 2001. And do you know the story of the show of Mamma Mia? (laughs) It's a story of a young girl who
0: doesn't know who her father is. And then I guess her mom had had three boyfriends at some point. And then she, like, invites all of them to, like, come... Is it to her wedding? She invites them to her own wedding? Yeah. And then, like, you know, fun hijinks ensue as she tries to figure out.
1: The thing that's really important about this thing isn't necessarily figuring out, like, who the dad is. It's really understanding that love makes the world go round, and we must cultivate as much love as possible among us. Um, And characters end up discovering new things about themselves and, you know, opening new doors to new emotions. But it's really a party musical. I mean, it's like, it's for lovers of ABBA to sort of watch the story unfold, but really, like, hear the music bring this world to life. (laughs) So, the Broadway musical is a huge hit, and that leads us to...
2: Domino number five.
1: It's 2008... And this trailer comes out.
2: Every girl has a dream.
3: I want the perfect wedding. And I want my father to give me away. Look at my baby. Your whole life has <laughs> of
2: Every family.
3: I read mom's diary.
2: Has a secret.
3: And I have three possible fathers. Oh. My. God. Just one. Every wedding. Which
1: one did you invite? I just love that we have, like, the biggest grids on faces, yeah. Just listening. <laughs> just listening to the trailer. Like, Let's that doesn't sure say that anything about the power trade. of this. Yeah. <laughs> the movie was directed by Phyllida Lloyd and starred Meryl Streep, Colin Firth, Amanda Seyfried, and, I mean, just a host of other incredible actors. And the film was shot in Greece. And actually, apparently, Pierce Brosnan signed on to the film Sight Unseen, just knowing that it was starring Meryl Streep and that it would be shot in Greece—good
0: <laughs> instincts, Pierce. Good
1: instinct. True. Like I would. Like would we not all do the same? Yeah. <laughs> um. Hey, come uh, to Greece, and Meryl Streep's going to be there. Right. Yeah. You don't. You say less. Cool. I'm there. Um. So, the movie is incredibly popular. Makes an insane amount of money. How much money do you think it made at the box office? <laughs>
0: Okay, Um, I don't know how any economy works, but I'm gonna guess $195 million.
1: Mamma Mia the movie made over $600 million. Oh my God, $600 million. $600 million in the worldwide box office. And that's actually more than Twilight, which came out that same year. Mamma Mia made more money than Twilight. Oh my God. What? Like Mamma Mia beat out preteen girl dollars. That's massive.
0: It's <laughs> an absurd amount of money.
1: That is insane. And they fifteen obviously- of those dollars were definitely mine. <laughs> I absolutely saw <laughs> it at theaters. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, I just wanna reiterate the journey that we've been on. You know, we started off in the Soviet Union in the early 40s, and we ended up, like, in the most, like, beautiful, like, movie, musical, disco party celebration extravaganza.
0: It's tempting to sort of be like, oh, you know, we wound up at this beautiful place, and, you know, it's ending with this disco ball of happiness and everyone. But it's like, there's still that kind of like pall over it of the just absolute, the heartbreaking things that led to it. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's a really complicated thing, but I think there is something really beautiful about imagining people all around the world that year when the film came out, like putting together that amount of money to go see and just, like, smile at the screen for two hours. That's just, like, a very nice, happy, worldwide thought, I guess.
1: And I feel like, you know, this this idea of, of this being, like, a domino effect, you know, it's this idea that, like, one event topples over into the next and leads into the next. But, like, you don't know what each domino is gonna be, right? Like, you don't really know, like, when that domino is toppling over, whether it's going to lead into a positive event or a negative event. And there's, like, this unpredictability to how these, like, historical events fold into one another. We're very invested in, like, trying to figure out a pattern or try to figure out, you know, just to have some kind of predictability, something to anchor to.
0: Yeah, because you're always trying to figure out like, okay, like this causes this, causes this. But then it's like, sometimes it's just, yeah, it's unpredictable.
1: All right, Mary, we've come to the end of our journey. Thank you so much. No,
0: thank you. This has been so much fun and so like enlightening. So thank you so much.
1: Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you. You're welcome back anytime. And actually, before we go, I'm feeling like we should probably go to Eurovision next year, right?
0: Done. It's a done deal.
1: (laughs) If I don't see you before Eurovision 2022... I'm going to text you in like five minutes, so... (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Not Past it as a Spotify original, produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. Next week, we're going to the movies.
3: It didn't give me nightmares or make me want to rip anybody else's heart
1: out.
3: (laughs) I've never wanted to rip somebody's heart out.
1: (laughs) Good, good, good to hear. This episode was produced by Jake Maya Arlo, Kinsey Clark, and Sarah Craig. Julie Carley is our associate producer. Laura Newcomb is our intern. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Andrea B. Scott and Zach Stewart-Pontier. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Bobby Lord and Jake Maya Arlo. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toco Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton. Technical direction by Zach Schmidt. Show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Abby Ruzica. Special thanks to Dave Schilling, Lydia Polgreen, Dan Behar and Clara Sankey, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Nabil Cholempath. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to check out our special ABBA playlist. And follow me on Twitter, at Simone Pilanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week.